Hi, my name is Vicky. I'm the creator and founder of the Groove Project Australia, helping you find your groove, create your groove and live an amazing, delicious life. Hope you enjoy today's meal-sized episode. Hey, welcome to today's episode. I, If I sound a little bit flat today, it's just because I have had one hell of a weekend and week and I can't really say that it was anything massive that's happened. It's the impending thought or, you know, um, doom, which is really melodramatic because it's not really doom. But, you know, when you have something that is playing on your mind and you have, you know you have something coming up and you don't really have any sort of say in the situation, it's just kind of going to happen to you um, or you won't have much of a say until that situation occurs. So in my case, it's a particular meeting that I need to go to um, tomorrow now and I've known about this meeting for a week and I have literally worked, well, my brain has overthought and over, overdone uh, this whole idea for a week now. And for someone like me, that is a really hard thing to manage. I'm getting better at managing it, um, mainly because I'm getting a little bit older, but also because I'm still learning a lot of tricks and trying to implement those to stop me from overthinking things, doubting myself and and going into damage control, which actually makes things worse. So I've been thinking a little bit about uh, some of how I how I deal with, um, I know I talked a little bit the other week about stress and how I deal with it, but there's some things that, you know, I've been going back to that have really helped me um, this weekend. And it's thinking about what stage of eating I'm kind of up to as well and one thing I learned uh, before surgery and it's becoming very evident post-surgery is there is a spectrum of nutrition there's no one perfect single amazing foolproof foolproof diet out there Um, and even for me something that might have worked 10 years ago probably won't work now because a number of factors in my life have changed since then. Um, you know, my age has changed. Um, my level of exercise has changed. My sense of taste has changed, actually. Um, what I see as pleasure, um, how culture, I guess, has shifted in the last 10 years, particularly my understanding of diet culture. Um, the phase of life I'm in, it doesn't seem all that different to what it was maybe 10 years ago, but it's very different now, um, very different as a 44-year-old compared to a 34-year-old. Um, and, and just some of my personal beliefs around who I am, uh, my purpose, where I fit in, or where I might not fit in, um, you know, and all those sorts of things as well play a factor. So a diet that was successful for me um, to a degree 10 years ago definitely isn't going to be as successful for me now because so many things have changed. I think I've I've learned uh, the more I read, the more I study, the more I listen to you know other amazing people in the field of food and and nutrition and mind body and eating connection and all of that. 
I know that over the course of my lifetime, there's going to be different ways that I'm going to eat. Um, then I'm not going to eat, you know, as I said, I what I ate as a 20, a 34 year old is not how I eat as a 44 year old. Definitely how I ate as a 14 year old or even a 24 year old is very different to now. And the thing is, it should be like that. And there should be that sense of peace around it as well. Um, and knowing that it's all good. Just because something worked in the past doesn't mean that if it doesn't work in the present, um, that it's all about you and you have failed and, you know, it's about, um, you know, your lack of willpower or anything like that. Sometimes certain ways of eating just don't suit us after a while. And particularly when we've done something once and we've, you know, and it was unsustainable, uh, for the long term, it was only sustainable for the short term. Well, maybe we've got to consider that sometimes leaving that way of eating um, was just for that season. So, you know, again, the, the idea of a perfect diet is an illusion. Um, you know, it is filled with limitation and it really does build on our frustration because, as I said, you know, just then we can kind of turn that around and make it about us rather than the way that the, the diet, I guess, or the way of eating. Um, and we always put this, we can, um, cause I don't want to use absolutes, but you know, we, we can, or we tend to, again, put that on us as a personal thing or a moral thing rather than something looking at it subjectively and, um, sorry, objectively. Oh, now I've got myself confused. You know what I mean. Um, but yeah, rather than looking at the evidence, we, we turn it inwards and look at ourselves. Not very helpful. Um, so when I was growing up, I, I was the biggest perfectionist, uh, but I was not the traditional perfectionist that you would sort of, um, you know, visualize if you were visualizing a a you know, someone who liked everything perfect and, and everything like that. Um, you know, I'm messy and I was the teenager that had so many threats on, on my, um, you know, social life and, and um, extracurricular activities because my bedroom was always a pigsty and, you know, that still carries on <laughs> into my adulthood. Not as bad as what it was even six months ago. Um, you know, I go through stages, particularly when I, I'm really not well and, and I've got chronic illness. But, you know, my car is still that car that if you want a lift from me, um, you got to be prepared for it to be dirty. Even when I've emptied it out of all the rubbish, it's still pretty dirty. So I'm still or I was such a perfectionist that in my mind if something couldn't be perfect the first time and stay perfect then I was going to give up and not want to engage in it because you know why bother kind of thing and part of that was my lack of uh, what I now know is growth mindset I had a very fixed mindset um, about a lot of things in my life because I think growing up a lot of uh, things that I tried came quite easy to me and when they were hard I didn't I didn't have the strategies or skills to know what to do with that and so something to some people as just being as simple as as being neat and tidy that was something so completely foreign to me and I still kind of don't get how people do it um, and do it naturally uh, but I've worked really hard on that and I've worked really hard on this idea of perfectionism and it 
ended up for me and what I now know was a bit of self-abuse because I would sabotage myself out of really amazing opportunities and situations because of that because I didn't think that I could be perfect at something so I didn't want to put my hand up to try. For so many years I would say that uh, in leadership uh, whether it be something you know personal whether it be a volunteer situation or a church situation or a work situation that I wasn't a great leader but I was a great number two. I look back on that now and I think that was more about being um, comfortable with the idea of staying safe because if you were number two the chips don't fall down with you and the the you know the buck doesn't stop with you Uh, the last decision isn't about you it's about someone else and you're kind of just carrying out somebody else's plan so that was you know part of my issue growing up and I still battle to this day with the after effects of that idea of perfectionism so when it came down to my eating and my relationship with my body and food you know I would go through literally if you picture a you know that roller coaster that was me perfection or nothing I was really that all or nothing dieter I was like either perfectly a hundred percent on or I was you know throwing everything to the wind and having you know food parties basically because I just wasn't going to engage and give up and of course you know the next Monday or the Monday after or even the month after that I was back on you know the next thing that I had found that that I thought was going to solve everything and I was doing it 100% perfect and then when you know I couldn't uh, sustain that or whether I would eat something that was um, apparently off plan I would you know chuck it all in and off I would go and I remember when I think it was about 15 years ago I was doing a very restrictive program called Sure Slim and I've had some conversations with some of you about this already but that program um, was very very for me it was very very low in carbohydrates so what they would do is they would uh, give you a you go for a blood test and then apparently uh, they would work out from your blood test uh, your tolerance to carbohydrates and then uh, give you a food list based on your blood test I'm not going to go into whether that was evidence-based practice or anything like that. I kind of think not now, knowing what I know, but, you know, there might have been something to it. So I ended up, and I think this, you know, again, this is why things like programs like this work, because you end up in a calorie deficit, regardless of whether you are eating carbs or not. If it's restrictive and you're restricted to a certain amount and uh, certain times of the day, so you could only eat, you know, five hours apart um, minimum and it was three meals a day, no snacks. Um, You know, for me it was, um, you know, very minimal fruit, uh, very minimal carbs and by that I mean no starchy carbs at all and I was allowed one piece of uh, mountain bread or, you know, crusket a day. And uh, I remember... You know, and this was me and back in my everything has to be perfect days. I remember I was probably about halfway through what I, you know, what ended up being the, t- the amount of time I spent on it. I dropped weight rapidly. So I thought this thing was, you know, the most perfect thing in the world. And um, I was very protective of that because I'd worked very hard um, to sacrifice all the things that I loved um, in order to be dropping this weight. And drop weight I did, to be honest, like I was I was losing two kilos a week um, on average, which sounds amazing. But, you know, of course, 
uh, the minute I stopped that program, uh, all that weight plus more came on and rapidly. Um, but yeah, back to the idea of perfectionism. So I remember really clearly once um, having bought some hamburger patties because again, you know, it was pro- a certain amount of protein, um, you know, and then a couple of veggies and it was like 100 grams, grams of veg- green veggies, um, 100 grams of protein and that was pretty much it for my dinner. So I'd found these hamburger patties that I was, you know, eating from, you know, a supermarket chain and I thought they were amazing. And then one day, you know, I was losing weight. So this wasn't even in a week where I thought I'd put on weight. But um, I looked at the label and it said that it had flour in it. Well, didn't I freak out? I literally was in a panic attack all day thinking that I had screwed this whole thing up. And if I go back to my diary entries now, I can, I read what I was, you know, thinking at that time. And it was very melodramatic, but it was also a very anxious driven state because I had tried so hard to be perfect and inadvertently lost that halo and it it damaged me like I was I was so anxious about it and I remember that you know once I discovered it that night the very next morning instead of waiting for my way in like two days afterwards I left for work really early and I went to a local shopping center near work and I knew they had scales also I could weigh in on some scales that weren't my own so I could prove to myself that all was well and all was on track there must have been a very minute amount of flour in this this hamburger I tell you but you know my as I said my reaction was you know over the top and it was very anxious driven and that's the problem with perfectionism as well because there is no such thing as perfect we are humans we are flawed humans no matter how amazing we think we are no matter how hard we try and keep that halo straight we are people and people are flawed um you know some of you know perceived more flawed than flawed than others but that's a that's a different story anyway so perfectionism can really or that idea of perfectionism even when we don't think we're that kind of person it really can mess with um, you know our mind body eating connection as well and I've talked a little bit before about well there's no such thing as good food and bad food Um, you know the food itself is neutral but if you've got that perfectionism idea in your head then it's really easy to get caught up in well that's not you know that food's not as nutritious so therefore it's a bad food or even it's a treat food and I'm going to have a cheat meal Um, that's still got elements perfectionism thinking and for me it took and it still is taking a lot of time to unravel that thinking because you know not only does it service and service well because it keeps it keeps us under the illusion that we are safe but also our society and the world we live in and diet culture really does support that notion um, of trying to be perfect because the diet industry knows that there's no such thing as perfect and it banks on the fact that we're going to screw up um, and think it's our fault and then go looking for the next best thing. So that's why there are companies out there that um, make billions and of, of dollars on us, not just from one program, but for a two or three or four. So they might be a company kind of like um, some of the fashion companies that have two or three brands under their, their umbrella that are slightly different, but just reach a different demographic. Same with the diet industry. There are companies out there that have uh, multiple names, but they, they all are owned by a one parent company 
company and they are you know, just reaching a different demographic, trying to sell us this uh, lie that there is such a thing as a perfect diet and perfection as well. So I'm very, very quickly going to touch on something um, about the four levels of diet. And it's something that I, you know, when I learned about it, it really was a light bulb moment for me because I'd never considered that there were different times in our lives that we were going to use food or our diet. And I'm not talking diets as in a program, but diet as in the food we eat um, and consume. Um, you know, there are different, there are different times in our life and we may, we may be in one phase for a while or, you know, not for very long. And then we're in another phase and there's no sort of progression with this. It's not, you know, you start here and you end here. It just depends on who you are. You know, as I said before, those factors like age and phase of life and your sex and your gender and, you know, pleasure and all those sorts of things. So, you know, you've got, um, you know, the, the maintenance diet, which is your day in, day out, um, you know, way of eating to maintain health. And I think some of us think that we've never been there and we can never be there because the holy grail of that is to be at a really perfect weight. Um, I've discovered that, you know, I am, a, depending on the day, 8 to 10 kilos away um, more than what my uh, surgeon has actually put as my um, goal weight. But I can look at my diet at the moment and I can see that I really am in a maintenance phase. Um, you know, I fluctuate three or four kilos at the very most, um, you know, and I am eating, you know, not necessarily for a calorie deficit, um, but I am eating sensible portions. I am not overstuffing my stomach. But the fact that I'm not moving a, a great amount, I, I'm doing some steps, but I'm not always ready, reaching my step goal. Um, and I'm not um, going to, you know, do planned or intentional exercise that gets my heart rate up more than maybe once a week at the moment, I'm definitely in the maintenance stage. Then I've also at times been in the therapeutic stage. So when I've had different health conditions, um, you know, either trying to work out what was causing some bloating or um, when I was looking at some things that might help my PCOS and endometriosis, um, even migraines. So when I first got diagnosed with chronic migraines, um, I was basically trying to eat at a therapeutic level, not that I knew the name of it at the time, because I was eating, trying to eat things or take things out of my diet or add things in that were going to hopefully um, help that condition when when those conditions eased up or when they weren't the biggest thing in my life anymore, then I didn't need that therapeutic diet anymore and I moved away from it. Um, a lot of the time um, I felt like I was in the experimental phases of, of my eating. Um, I was, you know, trying to lose weight. So I was trying our different diets, you know, and different diet programs and whether that was keto, whether that was low carb, high fat, um, whether that was no fat, whether that was paleo, um, whether that was, you know, a specific program like Sure Slim or 12WBT or Weight Watchers or anything like that. It was always an experimental. If I do this and I stick to it, then, you know, I should lose weight X, Y, Z. Um, but not all experimental diets need to be like that. Sometimes if you have a really good relationship with food in your body, you might, you know, be... Um, 
you know, inspired by people who are vegan or eat a raw food and wonder how eating like that on a longer term basis or a more consistent basis, how that would work for you. That might, that season might, you know, last a month or a week, or it could last two, three, five, ten years. It's still a season and it's still a phase. Um, and why it's experimental is because you still assessing how you go at the time eating that way and it's something that you can walk away from without guilt and as I said you can do that if you've got a really good relationship with food or your body or you're working towards that as well. Um, The optimizing diet look a lot of us don't fit into that category we're not unless we're training for a particular event event or we're an athlete um, you know or we're we're eating in such a way that we are trying to you know keep our brain power or or our could our cognition to a certain level. Um, A lot of us don't stay in that optimizing diet. So just as I close uh, with this today, I just wonder for you, um, what stage of diet or what level of diet or phase of diet do you think you are in at the moment? Are you in the maintenance phase where you're day in, day out maintaining your health or aiming to maintain the status quo? Um, Are you in a therapeutic diet? Are you looking at your way of eating to um, help optimize a health condition? Are you in the experimental phase? Are you doing something at the moment that, uh, so you have a particular goal in mind, so you're experimenting to see what happens? Or are you an athlete or training for an event and eating in an optimizing diet, which is a lot more structured because you have very specific and clear goals and eating those things um, are going to help you. So I'm going to leave it with you, uh, with that, with you today. I think, to be honest, I am getting a migraine because my words are mixed up today. Uh, kind of happens when I'm in that aura phase. I'm also a little bit stressed, so that might be it as well. But hopefully, um, you know, again, um, these are things that I have learned over time and am still learning and curious about. I hope this sparks a little bit of curiosity in you tonight. And um, I look forward to hearing your feedback. Um, email at the Groove Project Australia at gmail.com or find me on Facebook or Instagram, the Groove Project Australia. As I said before, I'd love to hear from you. Let me know if what you think or if you've got any questions about the four phases of diet and you want some more information of where you can get more evidence from that about, I'm happy to um, answer those questions and lead you in um, more um, smarter. <laughs> Again, my words are gone, but um, you know, more learned people um, than me. So have a great night and I'll talk to you soon.